0: So uh, just a quick commercial for a quip. Now, it, it, when Jesus went into heaven, he gave the church some instructions. He said, go and make disciples. It was real clear. He didn't say, draw a crowd. He didn't say, raise a lot of money, although you need money. He didn't say, do a lot of good works. He didn't say any of those things. He said, make disciples. This is what we call the Great Commission. This is the work that Jesus is up to, right? And so we want to be about that. We want to be about making disciples. Disciples are people who know Jesus, follow Jesus and lead others to do the same, okay? Very, very, very simple. We just want to make people that do that. We want to train people, develop people to be able to do that. We believe that one of the one of the uh, one of the weaknesses of the American churches is as we've drawn crowds, we haven't made disciples. And so we want to be the greatest disciple-making church possible in our generation. We want to be able to do that, to just multiply people. And our method for doing that, our training tool is called Equip that you see on your screen. Now Equip is a 10 10-week discipleship experience where you learn how to be a disciple. You learn how to know Jesus, follow him, and you learn how to lead others to do the same. We believe that we want everybody in an equipped group. I really believe that for everybody, this can be the most transformational thing you do for yourself this year. More than the books that you're listening to, more than listening to uh, the, pod, the serial podcast that you're listening to, um, you can, this can be the greatest tool for your transformation. It, can, it will also be the greatest tool for our church's transformation. As we begin to multiply in other cities in Georgia, around the world, in different countries, Equip and making disciples is going to be at the core of that. Now, the good news is if you're in a group right now, you're going to go through Equip. If you're in a group right now, you're got, you guys are going to go through EQUIP. But some of you aren't in a group, or you're maybe in a different environment where you're connected that's not a group, you need to sign up for EQUIP. And we would love for you to do that. You have a card in your seat um, that uh, has the word equip on it. We made it really easy. And so you have this card. We'd love for you to fill that out. Just drop it off at the Connect Desk on your way out today so you can be a part of that. I lead an equip group every time. And it's always, always, always transformational for people. Not only that, we have a a new field guide that we are going to be rolling out um, for this particular session. You don't want to miss out. So equip, get an equip. It's going to be the greatest transformational experience you will have. This year, so I and I promise that. So, um, with that said, let's, let's launch into our series. We're finishing up this series called Eyes for Eternity and Hearts for Heaven. Eyes for Eternity and Hearts for Heaven. And the, the way the language that we've used to talk about this series is that if you were to pretend that your life was this rope and, uh, and it goes on and on and on forever, like you're eternal, you're gonna live forever. But, but the red part of the rope is, is right now. It's from the time we're born to the time that we die. physically Physical birth to physical death. Uh, but but we're, you're going to live forever. We spend a lot of time focused on this small portion of the rope. And it's super important because what we do here actually does echo through eternity. Thank you, Gladiator. Like we know this, that, that everything that we do is going to impact us throughout eternity. And so for some people, your eternity will be in heaven, and for some people, your eternity won't be. It will be in hell. And and rather than having fire and brimstone kind of series, we just wanted to talk about how we could help people experience the life that God has for them by investing in this portion of the rope so that they can live eternity in a way that they will be satisfied with. Now, now over the last two weeks, as we've talked about this red portion of the rope, we've talked about for us individually, We've looked at our portion of the red rope and how it affects our life. But today, what I want us to realize is that everybody has eternity, that everybody you see lives throughout eternity, that we don't need to just focus on our portion of the red. We need to focus on other people's portion of the rest of their rope. And so that's, that's where we're going to land today. Now, in order to get into this, in, into this topic, I want to talk a little bit about St. Patrick. Just for the record, how many of you know the real story of St. Patrick? Right? You see how many? Like, look around. Like, not many. So, so thank goodness, because then it'd be redundant, because I'm going to tell you the story anyway. So, St. Patrick was born, ironically, in a place that was modern-day Scotland. It was called Britannia. It was part of Great Britain. Today, it's, it's part of Scotland. Now, he grew up in a middle-class family, His dad was a deacon. His grandfather was a priest. And so at the the age of 16, he grew up with with a religious heritage, but he did not believe in God. St. Patrick did not believe in God. And so St. Patrick left home, and he went at the age of 16, and he built a brewery. And in this brewery, he brewed green beer. Not really. That would be a dumb story. You can't thank St. Patrick for green beer. You can thank Budweiser in the 1970s for green beer. At the age of 16, Patrick was kidnapped by some Irish pirates. And he was taken. He was trafficked. He was a slave taken to Ireland, sold to a chieftain, a king of a small village. Now, the Irish were barbarians. They had no regard for life. The the way that they defended themselves against the Roman army, this is a funny story real quick, is they got to the field of battle. They stripped naked, took their sword, and charged the field yelling at the top of their lungs. Like, if that won't scare you, nothing will. Like, they just were, roll your sleeves up, no care for life, no concern for life at all. This is where Patrick ends up. So Patrick ends up in this small village with his chief. He makes Patrick his shepherd and sends him out into the Irish countryside with his sheep. With nothing. Patrick would write that he had three companions. Sheep, cold, and loneliness. Those were his three companions. So while out on the Irish countryside tending his sheep, very cold, all alone, for months on end, having to fend for himself... he he began to kind of reconsider his belief in God. (laughs) And Patrick writes that he would pray a hundred times a day. So Patrick would pray. He was enduring hardship. Six years, Patrick, his teenage years were stolen from him. And And after he'd been there six years, he had this dream. And in this dream, Patrick pictured that God was saying, there's a ship for you. Your ship has come. And so he escapes leaves where he's working and makes the 200-mile trek to an Irish port where he finds a boat. Patrick gets on the boat and leaves only to be captured by the French. He was not very good at escaping. And so while the French had him, they gave him his freedom. And he went to monastery and began to be trained as a priest. After about 30 years, Patrick began to think He, he had another dream. And in this dream, the people of Ireland were calling him to come back. And so Patrick had this heartbeat to go and tell the Irish about the Gospel, to tell them how much God loved them, to tell them that their lives could be different, to set them free. So Patrick goes to the Catholic Church. He went to his superiors. He says, I want to go as a missionary. I want to go back to, will you commission me? I want to go back to Ireland. And the Catholic Church said, no. We're not sending you. Those people are too far gone, and you can do no good there. We want you to stay here. So finally, after some political wrangling and maneuvering, maybe even a little bribery, I don't know, Patrick was able to go to Ireland. Patrick grabbed some of his friends because he knew that the only way he would be able to share the gospel in Ireland was through community. So he, he, he showed up in Ireland, and the first village he went to didn't want to have anything to do with him. They almost killed him. He found a village, a small village where, that was open to him, and he would go into these villages, and he would make friends with the chief of the village, the, the village leader. He would begin to arbitrate disputes that village may have with other villages or within itself. He would begin to meet needs. Patrick built schools, and he, and he uh, began to just serve people, and he built churches. and Patrick ev- evangelized the entire country of Ireland, and some say changed the course of world history because of how it affected the Roman government. And, and there's a book called How the Irish Saved Civilization, and some people believe that Patrick was at the crucible of that happening. Now, why would Patrick, after being kidnapped, enslaved, after escaping this barbaric horde of a country, why would he go back? Like, why would he risk his life for a people who stole his teenage years from him? A people who cared nothing about his life and certainly <clears throat> not the life of anybody else. Why would Patrick do that? Patrick had eyes for eternity. Watch what, watch what Patrick says here. Patrick says, "'The love and fear of God more and more inflamed my heart.'" God's love and his reverential awe and respect of God more and more inflamed his heart.'" God's love so controlled Patrick, he could do nothing more than go and tell somebody some good news. And don't you love to share good news? Like, isn't good news fun to tell people about? Man, man like some of you, some of you maybe you got, you got a bonus at work or a raise at work. Didn't you love calling and tell them, hey, I got a raise or a bonus? I hope you told them the full amount you got. You didn't hold any back, did you? you I got a raise, I got a bonus. Like, for you students, don't you love to say, hey, I got into Harvard? Like, isn't that awesome? That's bad news for your parents, good news for you. (laughs) I mean, we love to share good news. I love calling people to share good news. I love being able to call someone and tell them something good. I love sharing good news, and so do you. And the reality is we could use some good news. We could use some good news. Our country could use some good news, our culture could use some good news. And just as Patrick was charged by God, controlled by God to go and share the good news, so it goes for those of us who follow Jesus. We have good news. We have transformational news. Our lives have been transformed and changed, and we, are, we have the privilege and the dignity and the fun of going and telling people good news that they can be reconciled to God. That is good news. That's good news. And so we just want to unpack what that can look like today. Who, who could you tell good news to today? Who could use someone to come into their life in the midst of trial, in the midst of darkness, in the midst of confusion, and bring some light and some clarity? And God has positioned you in just the right place to be able to do that. And so we're going to kind of look at a passage we've been looking at over the last couple of weeks in 2 Corinthians. So grab your Bible we're going to be in Second Corinthians chapter five. 2 Corinthians chapter five. Just kind of walking through a few verses there. I'm going to start in verse fourteen and kind of work my way down. Second Corinthians chapter five. We're going to start out in verse fourteen, and uh, I'm going to just kind of go a piece at a time. Second Corinthians chapter five. Always grab a paperback as you come in, and also just look at your app so that you can follow along with us. Don't trust what I say. You probably want to read it too because um, you don't know me that well. And so be sure you're reading it. But 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. says the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all of us. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So the love of Christ, it controls us. It's in charge of us. It's our motivating factor. It is what's pushing us forward. Because we know something, listen, we know something, that Christ died for all of us, that Jesus died for all of us to be transformed and to have life. Therefore, there's no, we can do nothing else. We're compelled to go and to share the message. You know, the word for uh, control is pretty interesting. So the word for control means to hold together so that nothing falls out, right? It means to hold it together so that nothing falls out. It reminds me of a story. When Debbie and I first got married, um, we... Like, our date nights were going to the grocery store. Anybody, anybody remember that? When you first got married, you went to the grocery store. Come on. The reason why is because we were broke as a joke. If you've not experienced that, you should. I can help you. But <laughs> so we would go to the grocery store. And now I'm young, and my theory is money is flat and meant to be stacked. I don't want to spend anything Unnecessary. And so we would go, and it was an act of Congress to buy a bag of potato chips for me. You know, that, like, that felt like a luxury. Get a banana. You know, get something with nutritional value. But I can remember going one night. It was a Friday night, and I was, I was going to get a Coke. Now, back in that day, there were two liter Cokes, and they were stacked on an end cap, you know, a little bit higher than my head. And so just high enough where I could reach the top. And so I go to get a Coke, and as I grab the two-liter Coke, and it was an experience for us. This was a I man; I was splurging to get a two-liter Coke. I get a Coke, and all of a sudden, I realize all the Cokes are coming at me. <laughs> Hundreds of two-liter Cokes. I'm about to be crushed under the weight of Cokes. Headline: College Student Dies Crushed by Cokes. Right? I just I had this vision. So I reach up as big as I can, and I just. Put, press my body up against the cokes and I hold them like that and they're just holding them still. And any movement by me, I'm holding my breath even because any movement, I know all the cokes are coming at me. And I'm expecting my wife to come to my rescue. And she's standing right there. And you know what she's doing? <laughs> Laughing, exactly. Because <laughs> it was funny. <laughs> and so eventually someone comes around and they help me as I hold them together and I hold everything up. Eventually someone comes around and we get this situation worked out. And they give me a Coke for free because I saved their store. (laughs) So this is a little bit of the imagery we get that the love of Christ, it, it holds us up. It's what controls us. It's what compels us. It's what keeps us going. You know, a lot of us are trying to hold up a lot of things in life, aren't we? I mean, we're trying to hold up a lot of things and they seem to be falling, and we feel like we can't quite grasp all of them, and we're concerned about which one's going to roll out. And Paul says this, the love of Christ, it, it can hold you up. And, and we get to tell people about that. How many people do you know whose life is maybe falling apart? Maybe they've got a couple of missing pieces, and you look at them, and you think, if you only knew. And you get this privilege and this honor of sharing with them the message of Christ and the fact that his love wants to hold them up. Some of you right now need to hear that, don't you? You feel like your life may be out of control, maybe falling apart. Maybe you're trying to keep everything going. You got a lot of plates spinning, but you're wondering which one's gonna crash first. Love of Christ will hold you if you'll let him. It's a great imagery that Paul's given us you know another another image that we have from this word is that it is pressed together from every side we're pressed together held together on every side so imagine this imagine that you were hiking and you came across, across a creek as it was flowing through the uh, woods and as you came to a certain part of the creek where it narrowed you would notice that the velocity of the water got much faster So God's love for us, as it presses us together, it gives us the velocity into eternity. This is what God's love does for us. It gives us direction and it gives us velocity as long as we let Christ's love control us. Now we're all controlled by something. We're all controlled by something. Like some of you are controlled by the need to be in control, aren't you? And you want to, you know, you want to control your schedule. You want to control your environment. You want to control your coworkers. Um, you got married and thought you could control your spouse. How'd that one work out for you? You had kids. You want to control your kids. You got money. You want to control your money. You want to be able to be in charge of everything. And what we realize quickly is that it's hard to hold all those things together. It's hard to be in control of all those things. But we need to let the love of Christ control us. Some of you are controlled by relationships. You know, we live in a culture that is controlled a lot by what what do they think of me? What's their opinion of me? Do I measure up to them? What do they think about how I look or how much money I make or the house I live in? And we begin to be controlled by this opinion of other people. We thought we left that behind in middle school, but it followed us into adulthood. Some of us are controlled by our finances. We have a certain way we want things to go, a certain amount we want to give, and we, are, we want to spend, we want to make, and we, we let our money, our finances, control us rather than controlling us. You have to ask yourself the question, what is it that's controlling you? What have you worried about this week that's controlling you? What have you spent money on this week that's controlling you? Right, and what have you planned on this week? What, what have you spent your time planning, daydreaming about? That, that could be a sign of what is controlling you. And when God's love controls us, we become a conduit for this love to go into flow into other people's lives, to flow into eternity. And this is what God's called us to. Paul goes on in verse 16, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 16. Paul says this, From now on, because I'm controlled by the love of Christ, I don't regard anyone according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him like this no longer. Okay, so because I'm controlled by Christ, I don't look at other people the same. I don't look at you and think that you're just another mortal person, like you're just another person, just you're going to come and you're going to go and eventually you'll die and you're just going to be over. I'm looking at you as if you're going to last forever because everybody lasts forever, right? Everybody is immortal. C.S. Lewis has a great quote on this. And Lewis said, there are no ordinary people. Like, turn to your neighbor and say, you are extraordinary. Boy, that was weak. That was weak. That was weak. I'm gonna give you another chance, so get ready, okay? Get ready. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. It is immortals who we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. So so Lewis says, all of it, all of all people are immortal. So now here's your chance. Turn to your neighbor and say, You are so heavenly. Oh, that was great. You're welcome, ladies. <laughs> See, when we meet somebody, we're not meeting a mere mortal who's going to pat, come and go like a building or a vehicle or a piece of clothing. We're meeting someone who is going to live throughout eternity. We're meeting someone who has an eternal destination, and we get this privilege, this opportunity to talk to them about how they can live their future, and we have never met a mere mortal. When you eating lunch today and whoever's waiting on you and bringing you food or taking your order. Or maybe you're at home fixing a sandwich, watching people on TV. Is you're exiting the parking lot today and you get frustrated because it's crowded and you want to say something ugly, say it under your breath. But you're not looking at a mere mortal. You're looking at somebody who's going to last forever. And that's what Paul says. We don't regard people anymore just based on the flesh, just based on the appearance. We know because of Jesus' resurrection Because he lives forever that we will be resurrected. And when we see people, that's what we see in people. And then he goes on. He says, okay, so now we're we're controlled by Christ, so we should do something. So one of the things we do is we don't see people just for this world only. We see them for eternity. He goes on. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. This is kind of like a coffee cup verse. You know, if you've been in a Christian bookstore, um, because you had nothing better to do, you were in a Christian bookstore and maybe you bought a t-shirt or a coffee mug or something. This is a verse that's on, it's very popular. It's one of the first verses that Christians memorize when they come to Christ. It's because we're new. Man, we love new. I love new. I love the idea of being new. I love the idea of getting a new body. I love the idea of getting a new future. I love the idea of new. I love new anything, small things to big things. I love new. And so, what Paul is saying is that you get to be new. And specifically, there's a lot of new that happens, but specifically, what Paul is talking about, there was an old way that you lived and you were selfish. Now, turn to your neighbor and say, I'm selfish. No, you were selfish. You're not selfish now. You were selfish. That's wrong. So selfish. Now, we're all selfish. We start out selfish. It's the natural drift of our lives is to be selfish, right? But what he's saying is that's the old way. The new way is I don't see it as selfish. I am a servant. I serve other people. I put other people's interests ahead of my own. This is how I live life. And this helps me to store up treasures for eternity. This helps me to tell others how they can have a better eternity when we move from being selfish to being servants. This is how we're supposed to live. Like, I am so selfish. I, but it, it, when you, if you want to cure your selfishness, you should have children, right? I mean, you should have kids. A lot of people have kids because they're selfish because they want a kid. That is a bad idea, it's a bad idea. So just, just this morning, this happened to me. I'm, in the, I'm, looking for, um, I'm looking for something, a specific item of clothing that I'm going to wear today because that's, I'm planned out. I'm going to wear it and I can't find it. And all of a sudden, I noticed on Instagram that one of my sons who has gone out of town is wearing it this morning. <laughs> and so I was selfish, but I wasn't. I let him have it, even though I didn't know I let him have it. Uh, <laughs> and I'll let him have it when he comes home. But but the reality is we're we're built selfishly. And when we are new, we become unselfish. And we want other people to experience this new creation. We want to tell other people how they can be new as well because it is good news. It's good news. Then Paul goes on in verse um, verse 18. Verse 18, uh, Paul says this. He says, All this is from God, meaning... The fact that we're controlled by the love of God. The fact that we are a new creation. The fact that we don't see people in the flesh as just mortal. We see them as immortal. All this came from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. Now, reconciled is about to show up five times in just these few lines. So it's a very important word. He reconciled us to himself. And he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So God reconciled us to him. And then he says, hey, you go and do the same thing. Now, this was so important to Paul. He repeats it in verse 19. That is in Christ, like in case you didn't understand the first time, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, meaning that Jesus came so that people who don't know God, people who live in darkness, people who are facing eternal death, they can have life. Like in Christ, this is how this happens. So he was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses. That would be another word for sin. That would be another word for the ways that we go against what God has for us. Uh, The times maybe we say something we shouldn't say or do something we shouldn't do. Our trespasses. Hey, we've all done it. We've all done it. I know there are some people that when you talk about sin, they'll be like, well, I just can't believe you talk about sin. Listen, you think about it every day. You know everything you say wrong, do wrong, don't do right, and don't, don't say like you want to. Like, you know these things. It's just the obvious. And now at least you're able to put a name on it and have a solution. So all their trespasses against them, and he entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. Entrusted just means he gave this to us. He planted it in us. He entrusted to us this message of reconciliation. So he repeats 18 and verse 19 and then 20, he kind of comes to a natural conclusion. Therefore, therefore, because God's love controls us, because we are new creations, because we, are, we don't see people with just mortal eyes, we see with eternal eyes. this is what we're going to do. We've got this message of reconciliation. What does that mean? We are ambassadors for Christ. That's who we are. It's what, if you follow Jesus, this is what you're supposed to be. You are supposed to be an ambassador, making his appeal through us. Oh, think about this for a minute. God is making his appeal through us. When you talk to somebody about Jesus, how about the person that told you about Jesus? That wasn't them talking. That was God speaking through them. And God wants to speak through you to someone else to say this. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Like, this is amazing that God would give us this privilege, this dignity to be able to invest in our eternity through other people. And and sometimes we we short sell it. Now, now the word reconcile, when when I think of the word reconcile, I think back to the old days when you had a checkbook. Anybody remember a checkbook? Like, you had a checkbook, and you would write a check. You didn't have a debit card. You didn't have Venmo. You didn't just share cash. You didn't have square cash, right? You just wrote a check, and then you had a little register where you wrote down your balance. You wrote down how much you just spent, and you subtracted the two, and you would get a balance. You know, that's how much money you're supposed to have. But then at the end of the month, you got what? You got a bank statement. Came in the mail. Usually pretty thick. So you'd have to look at the bank statement and see if your checking uh, balance ledger match the bank statement. And if they didn't match, somebody was wrong. And so if you looked at the bank statement and you thought the bank got it wrong, you just gave up because you knew you were never getting that changed. But if you looked at one of them and one of them were wrong, you would be recon- you would reconcile them. Somebody- you either had to subtract it from your account or they had to subtract it from their account, and you, you became whole or harmony. So this works in relationships. When you're reconciled to somebody in a relationship, it's just this relationship for some reason has been broken and that the two people decide, hey, we want, we want to live in harmony with each other. We want to be reconciled together. And they decide and they are reconciled together. So imagine this. Imagine you have a friend and you are, you're just, um, I mean, the relationship's broken and it was all their fault. Now, we know that r- doesn't really happen, but let's just imagine for a minute, it's all their fault. They said something wrong, you were right. They did something wrong, you were right. They forgot something they shouldn't have, but you didn't forget. Like They're completely wrong. And and you would love for the relationship to be whole, but you know you can't just pretend that nothing happened. So so whose court is the ball in for that? It's in your friends, because they have to come to you and say, I was wrong. They have to be the ones to come to you and say, "I, I, I need you to forgive me. They have to be the ones to come to you and say, let's be reconciled. And when that happens, because you're ready and available, you get to state the terms for that. You're like, hey, okay, I, this is what it costs me, but I, I want us to be reconciled. And if you were to say, I forgive you, don't worry about paying me back, you're reconciled. It was all your fault, but I'm going to take the responsibility. Like, you would be a magnanimous person, wouldn't you? That, that, that would be something incredible. Most people can't do that, and we, we don't forget that easily but this is what God has done for us. This is how we've been reconciled to God, is that we stepped away from God's best. We stepped into a life of darkness, a life of floundering, a life of wandering. And God, in his infinite goodness, sent his son Jesus for us, that Jesus could be the one to reconcile us back to God. And not only that, God says, now that you're reconciled, hey, you go and you be my ambassador to reconcile other people. What a great privilege we have to be an ambassador, to be a spokesperson for God. You know, we we see ambassadors that work all the time, don't we? You may see uh, an ambassador for the government. If they go and they move to a country for a little while, maybe they're our ambassador to France and they're there and they, they communicate for the government. They're the government's mouthpiece. They do all the negotiation. They take care of any plans that need to be taken care of. And when we break relationship with the country, we remove our ambassador. I think, I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, that happened in Venezuela this week, I think. right? We break relationship. But when there's an ambassador, so God has sent us to be an ambassador for him. Full-time. You may have heard this phrase, Christian doctor or Christian businessman or Christian teacher. It actually is a little bit backwards. We're an ambassador first who happens to be a teacher. We're an ambassador first who happens to be a doctor. We're an ambassador first who happens to work as a project manager. Like this This is how we should see our lives. The greatest thing that's ever happened to us is what happened when Jesus came into our life. And we get this privilege of being an ambassador, of telling, and without us, they will not know. I can't overemphasize that. Without you, someone could live without God. That feels big, but Paul's just said we're ambassadors. Without you, someone could stay in darkness. Without you, someone could stay in futility. Without you, someone could stay in hopelessness. Without you. What a great honor we have to tell somebody some good news, didn't it? We get to tell people good news. You know, the first step into that is just to begin to pray for people. You know, like if you're a parent here, you should be praying for your children to come to know Jesus. You should also be praying for their spouse. But that's another, that's another lesson. <clears throat> you should be praying for them to come to know Jesus. Some parents would say, I'm just going to let them pick whatever they want to, whatever spiritual path they want to. Hey, we'll do this. You also let them decide whether or not they want to get up and go to school on Monday. Like we don't do that with kids in any other way. You should pray that your kids come to know Jesus. You should pray for your spouse. You should pray for people that you work with. You should pray for people that you don't know. You might be like, I don't really know who I tell because I don't know that many people. You should pray and tell them. You should pray that God would give you people, put them in your path this day so that you would have an opportunity just to talk to them about their spiritual journey and where their rope is headed. If it's headed to heaven or if it's headed to hell, you should, have an, you should pray that God gives you opportunity. Second thing you should do is just to love people I and mean, just love people. Just serve them. You know, when, when your neighbor has something going on, take them something to eat. Ask them how they're doing. When a kid comes over and wants to play in your backyard, you should just make Kool-Aid if they still even do that kind of thing. You should love people. At work, you should just love people. People should know you by how you're marked, by how you love them, by how you serve them, by how you care for them, because they know that you care. We should love people. If 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 I were to show up at your house today, or maybe let's say Jesus were to show up at your house today, and he would have to ask people that live with you—a roommate or a spouse or a family member that lives with you—and they would say, "Hey, how, how does your how does your how does this person serve you? Like, what would be the report on you? What would be the story for you? We should serve people, but then we should share. We need to share. You need to know your story." You need to know how, what, how you move from death to life. That's one of the reasons we're so passionate about equip is we teach you how to do this. Another way to get at this question is like, what are you most grateful for that God has done? Like, what are you most grateful for that God has done for you? Has He, has he released you from addiction? Has He restored a relationship in your family? And has He given you purpose and meaning? Is he just giving you, going to give you life after death? Like, what is it you're grateful for? And just share that because that is good news for people. You know, one of the things I love to share when, about what God has done for me is that God's given me a place. You know, one of the images we have of heaven as we look towards eternity is that we'll all be gathered around this banquet table and around this banquet table, I believe there's gonna be name cards <laughs> that this is your place. I'm so grateful for that. So, so, so just imagine for a minute, you're sitting around this banquet table. And one of the things we know is we'll share stories about what happened during the red portion of our rope. We'll tell stories. I want you to imagine just sitting there at the banquet table. And, and a lady across the table <clears throat> named Linda stands up. And she says, yeah, you know, Susan right there, when I had little kids, And they got the flu. You know, she came over and brought us a meal. She gave me the name of her pediatrician. She drove my turn in carpool line. And she came back to check on me. And when my husband lost his job, she checked in on me every day. And just to see if we needed anything to see how we were doing emotionally, see how we were doing um, just mentally. And then she invited me to this place called Stone Creek where we met some people that were amazing and taught us and showed us what it meant to follow Jesus. And we began to follow Jesus there. Like, that's probably one of you. Or there's gonna be a guy named George who's gonna stand up and say, hey, you see my friend John over there? John, we sat next to each other at a lot of kids' ball games. And we yelled at the referees a lot, probably embarrassingly. And, and I just could tell something was different with John. And, and when my marriage hit a, rock, a a tough patch, I called him up and just asked him a few questions. And he just began to share with me that, yeah, you know, I went through that as well. But I, I began to understand more about what Jesus says about our marriage. And so I tried to love my wife the way Jesus loved the church. And it, it changed my home. And George, because of John's sharing of his talking to him and serving him and loving him, John George found his way into eternity. And I believe we'll all get this opportunity to to share stories. Like what, what will people say about you? What stories will be shared about you Mr. and Ms. Christian? Like what story will they tell about how you loved somebody, how you shared with them? Will it be a story that we were aggressive, we had eyes for eternity, or we were a little worried that we may offend somebody? Here's what won't happen in heaven nobody's gonna stand up and say I can't believe that John told me about Jesus I'm so offended those people won't be there nobody's gonna say that we just have this privilege that God has given us the greatest opportunity to help someone understand what it means you see our greatest desire is to accomplish something worthy of eternity that's our greatest desire the drive that you have, your desire to do something, it's not temporary. It's something that God has placed in your heart and he's trying to birth in you a vision larger than yourself. He wants you to have a vision to accomplish something worthy of eternity and helping other people get there is at the top of the list. That's how we invest in eternity. You know, let me close out with another story about another Scotsman that we all know, William Wallace. You may remember the movie, if you've seen it, that as you, as in the movie, as he comes to um, the battlefield, he's an intimidating figure. You know, in real life, William Wallace was six foot nine when the average height was five foot nine. William Wallace's sword, I've had the privilege of seeing it, is five feet 11, almost six feet long. And he was a massive figure. But in the movie, as he makes his way to the battlefield, the Scottish army is standing in in, uh, Bannockburn on the edge of the battlefield, and they're facing the Roman army military machine, and they're scared to death. And they start peeling off. I mean, the only only weapons they have are farming implements. And so they began to leave because they're fearing death. And Wallace says, why are you leaving? And they say, we're we're not going to die for these people. And he says, die, you, you fight and you may die. Run and you will live at least for a while. And dying in your beds, would you give anything all the days from that day to this day to come back here as young men and to say, they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom. You see, Wallace had eyes for eternity. He knew there was a cause bigger than his life. He knew there was a cause greater than what he could manufacture for himself. And these are the eyes of eternity that we all need. Eyes for eternity and hearts for heaven. Let's pray together. So, God, if I could be your mouthpiece for just a moment, that there are people you want reconciled to you in this room right now, God, that there are people who are away from you who haven't decided to follow you, who don't know you, who've been either complacent or they've just been um, rebellious, God, and you want them to be reconciled to you. No matter what they've done, no matter how far they've gone, no matter what anger they've thrown out, no matter what bitterness they're living with, God, at you, God, you want them to be reconciled to you. And So as we pray in these moments, Stone Creek, one of the things that I want you to just listen to is, um, if that's you, if you need to be reconciled to God, just simply pray. Just simply ask God a simple prayer. I'm going to lead you in it. And maybe you're here today and that's not you, but you, you wouldn't know how to lead somebody in a prayer. So you can listen to what I'm saying. This is words for your own development. So this is how you should pray and talk to God. Dear God, I believe that you are good. I believe that you sent Jesus to die for my sins and to be raised from the dead. I choose today to follow him and I will let his love control me all the days of my life. And the Bible says that when that happens, we're new creations, old things are gone, new things have come and you're a new creature, you're a new creation. God, I pray that this is more than a series, that it's a lifestyle perspective shift, that we'd recognize that we are ambassadors, that we are mouthpiece, that somehow in your infinite wisdom and love and goodness, you allow us to tell others about it. And God, that we wouldn't feel like it's awkward, that we wouldn't feel like we're forced, we wouldn't feel like it's a project. God, that we would just bust through all that, that we would just remove anything that may feel awkward. Because God, if we're honest, at times it feels awkward. And at times it feels like we're not getting it right. And At times we want to and we don't, or we don't and we wish we would and we have regrets. But God, I pray that we just be a, a, a church of people who are following you, who are controlled by your love and want other people to experience what we know to be good news. God, we just pray that Jesus would be front and center in everything that we do. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.